We heard at the top of our service from Luke and Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah 50, chapter one or verses 1 through 10. So Isaiah 50, and this is one of the passages from the Old Testament that points towards Holy Week and all that Jesus would do, beginning with that triumphal entry and beyond. Isaiah 50, verses 1 through 10. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of four servant songs that occur in the book of Isaiah. They happen in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53. This is a third of four. Um, so 42, 49, 50, and 53. 53 is probably the most well-known of all of those. When Isaiah is presenting this word of the Lord to the people... The people are in exile. That means they're in a foreign land against their will, or at least a number of them are when he's presenting this. But the feeling of that is important for us to capture. When you're in a foreign land against your will, they feel like they're distant from God. Have you ever felt distant from God? That's what exile feels like. They feel like they're distant from all that they know or should know. They feel like they're distant from God. But here's one of the, the key distinguishing points, I think, that they realize in rescue that is important for us to reflect on. They feel distant from God, and they know they need rescue. They know they're in trouble. They know they need help. And one of the key distinctions for them to figure out is, how did we get here? in order for them to get out of this predicament. Who's responsible for the problems that they face in exile? 
verse 1, it comes across very strong. The word of the Lord, that is, Isaiah's delivering these words from God. It starts with, Who, it, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? It's rhetorical, the way it's presented. That is, God didn't divorce Israel. He's saying, would I do that? No, I wouldn't do that. God didn't have a debt that needed to be paid off. God has no debts that need to be paid off. He wouldn't do that anyways, even if he did. No, if you go on the verse, it says, you know who's responsible for these things? You are the people in exile. It goes on, because of your sins were you, so, you were sold, because of your transgressions, your mother was sent away. That first one, because of your sins, when it presents it uh, that way, that word for sins there is wickedness. It's not simply I missed the mark. It's not simply I kind of just, oops. It's wickedness. I did things that were wrong, that were the opposite of what God wanted to do. I am facing the guilt of it and the consequences of it. It was a wicked action that put us in this predicament. You could see a number of things that uh, led Israel down this path. One of them we could put in the giant bucket of idol worship. They put their faith in things that weren't God, whether it was Egypt or Syria, the powers around them that looked bigger. Or they put their faith in things that they thought might bring them better crops, the temple prostitutes around them. But when trouble comes, what happens? Egypt doesn't care about Israel and Judah. They care about themselves. Assyria won't protect them. They'll annihilate them, in fact. When trouble comes, that temple prostitute that seemed like they were going to help with your crops is going to be nowhere to be found when the crops fail. Only God is faithful and they've given up on him. Your sins, your wickedness has led you to this. Your transgressions, my translation has, is the other verse, verse, or word for sin that's there, which means to be relationally rebellious. Relationally rebellious against God. And here it's important to remind ourselves of what sin is. Sin, the old catechism says, is all in thought, word, and deed, which is contrary to the will of God. It's a good definition, but we don't want to forget in the midst of that that sin is an offense to God that breaks this relationship and then breaks all these other relationships around us. That's what it does. Even when the sin seems really personal and seems only to affect me, it doesn't ever just affect me. It affects this relationship and breaks it, and it actually has a ripple effect and affects all the others in our lives as well. It's their own fault that they're distant from God. It's very clear. It's their own wickedness that led them there. It's their own forgetting of God. It's their own putting their faith in things other than God that got them to the point of being in exile, from being, feeling distant from God and actually being distant from God. And the question then becomes, what now? How does the problem get fixed? Here's some words from King David in Psalm 31. Psalm 31, 14 through 16, David says, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. 
And there we're reminded of something incredibly important about God, that God's love is unfailing. It's unfailing. It's offered to us. It's unfailing. And God had made a promise to Israel. And in his unfailing love, even when they're in exile, distance from him, he's not going to divorce Israel, his covenant people. They may have caused the breach, but he won't allow that to stand. He made a covenant. He won't sell them out. And so the problem is that Israel has broken the relationship. They caused it. They cannot fix it themselves. They're reliant on God's unfailing love to bring them back. They know that they are far from God. They know they need rescue. And rescue begins by fixing the relationship with God. The only one who can save. So we ask again, do you feel far from God this morning? See, God is able to save. Isn't that good news this morning? God is able to save. And it turns out we need to be saved, which is the truth. But being saved only happens when we admit our fault in breaking our relationship with God. That's where Israel finds themselves. Judah, in this case. Isaiah 50, in essence, by the end, asks, who is teachable? And so we heard in the children's message today, that's the title of the sermon, Who's Teachable? It asks, who fears the Lord? Who's actually going to turn their heart back to him? Who's teachable? And God makes a way, we discover, through this third of four servant songs. It is this servant who will come and make the way for those with a teachable heart to come back home to God, no longer living in exile. And what we can see in this passage about this servant that's instructive to us is what the servant will do and then what that calls us to do. The servant comes with a well-instructed tongue, my text says. That is, he's skilled in healing the wearied and the wounded. He's skilled at bringing the words and the action that will bring healing. Jesus, the servant who comes, who this points towards, Himself says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's what Jesus promises. That's what the servant is going to do. When we're far from God, the long and short of it is, ultimately we're going to get worn out. We can't sustain that for the long term. When we're far from God, we're going to get worn out. We try and hold it together. We try and do things without God, the giver of life, the sustainer. But ultimately, we're going to be frazzled or hollow or both or more than that when we get down to it. We're going to be unfulfilled in the end. The servant comes to heal the wearied and the wounded. The servant comes also to instruct those who will listen. Psalm 5.3, it says, In the morning, Lord, hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Some of those requests that we need to take before the Lord need to be the grief, the lament that we've caused to God for our own sin, the brokenness we bring. And this is a great week, by the way, to reflect on that. Psalm 22, Psalm 88 are psalms that, that you often hear at this time of year. There's psalms of lament. Jesus himself quotes Psalm 22 from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I feel distant from you. Bring me close. 
That indeed needs to be our prayer. We need to lament that there's brokenness there and lay those things that have broken the relationship before God. We bring also our anxieties, our fears, pride, anger, anything else before the Lord that would hold us from His presence. Because when we hold on to those things that either sin against God or block us from God's presence, we put ourselves in the position of being God. And we can either say that God's at fault for our own problems, as, the, as this passage from Isaiah starts, or everybody else is, but certainly not me. No, we need to hand those things over. The servant comes with a well-instructed tongue. He's going to heal. The servant comes with open ears, we see in Isaiah 50. To know and follow the will of God at all times. The servant is going to demonstrate what that looks like. Because it's a rebellious attitude that got Israel into this trouble in the first place. It's a rebellious attitude. I don't know about you. Have you ever been rebellious in life? You don't have to answer it now. I mean, you can answer it to yourself. Have you ever been rebellious? I know I've had my moments. Even as a rule follower, I've had my moments. What is it like to be rebellious to God? I was trying to think of a useful example this week. I would suggest that our openness to God versus our rebellion to God, we could liken to having a childlike faith. And if you think of a toddler, what's the universal sign from a toddler of I want to be held? Arms up, right? And they kind of help you along with the process. They want, they want this to happen. What is a universal sign from a toddler that they don't want to do something? Falling to the floor, collapsing, resisting anything to be picked up, whatever. But, but it's that kind of dead weight that's the, the one that really gets you, right? Because when a toddler lifts their hands up and you lift, there's a little help. When a toddler does not want to be picked up, there's zero help, right? It's going to take everything you have and some stuff you don't have to get the toddler up and moving. But we can do that to God, can't we? We can do that to God. When we feel distant, we can sometimes uh, uh, not kind of want to fix the problem. God, if you would just make it easier, that'd be great. Or uh, I'll do what you ask God, but maybe later. I'll work on it later. I'll work on it unwillingly. I'll work on it once the fun is over. I'll work on it once the money has run out. All those kinds of things we can go through. But one of the really interesting things uh, and the thing that we need to do in order to get close to God is actually start with confession of our sins. And one of the areas that I would suggest that we sometimes are very resistant without even realizing it completely, we need to acknowledge this, is that when we go to confess our sins to God, we give most of them. But not the ones that embarrass us the most or that we want to keep hidden from God. We try and keep a few back to ourselves. Because, frankly, they do embarrass us. We feel bad about them. We want to hold on to that power, whatever it is. God knows those things already. And it is relationally rebellious to hold on to those, and we continue to sin when we do that. Putting ourselves in the seat of God. Acting like a toddler, lying on the floor. God, I'll do your will, but not willingly. And we remain functionally in exile from the living God. The servant comes with open ears to do the will of God. And we also see that the servant comes, and this, happened, this comes across in all the servant passages, but this one in Isaiah 53, 
uh, even more in an even more pronounced way. The servant comes and is going to do the will of God, even when it's unpopular and even when it involves suffering. Jesus, the servant who comes in John 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he continues on in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus himself willingly gave himself up and suffered in order to fix the problem of our distance from God. He will willingly do the will of the Father, even involving suffering. And we can see that even more clearly in the Creed from Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thanks to God for this servant. The servant also knows that his strength is God. And here I think it's important to recognize that when Isaiah is being delivered to the people... By the time they get to Isaiah 66, or what we know as Isaiah 66, and the final bit of prophecy had been delivered, they are not magically whisked out of their exile upon the reading or presentation, I should say, of the last word. Right, this all happened 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah is on the scene 700 years before Jesus. The servant doesn't come for a long time. The people aren't immediately out of exile. And even when they are out of exile, they're not really out of exile, as it turns out. So what did it do for them to hear the words like this in their time? Well, it asked them to be two things, teachable and hopeful. To be teachable and turn back to God and to be hopeful that God's tomorrow is better than God's today, if we're only teachable, and turn to him. And when we look at the New Testament then, and we look at what we heard today from the Palm Sunday text from Luke, where the, Jesus comes in and they're throwing the cloaks and the palm branches on the road in celebration of some expectation that they have. All the expectations are all over the map on what they expected because they still felt in exile even in their own land as they're under Roman rule, trying to figure out What's going to happen? It's not the first time they had celebrated someone triumphantly entering Jerusalem. They have all manner of di different expectations, and they yell, save us, essentially, among other things. Save us. That needs to be our cry, I think, today. Save us. Where do you feel like you're living in exile, even today? Where do you feel like you're distant from God? And there are parts of you that still remain hidden from a God who wants to heal and put things to right in your life. Where do you need to yell, Hosanna, save me this morning? The good news is those who lament their sins, those who confess their sins, 
Those who seek the Lord fully and are teachable, they're the ones who will be saved. There's hope in a crowd that even got it wrong in the days of Jesus, not knowing exactly why they're yelling out, Hosanna. It's not by my effort or your effort that we are saved. It's by our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are saved. It's through the servant who comes to restore the weary. It's through the servant who is obedient and suffers, even the curse of death on a tree. It is through the servant who will restore the hearts of the rebellious who would otherwise remain lost. Are you distant from God this morning? Do you know you need to be saved? This is a week where it's actually useful to leave things with a kind of a lingering question. So I'm going to leave you with a question and a prayer to take forward. And then we'll enter into a time of prayer after that. And the question is this. Do I have a teachable heart? Which seems like a simplistic question. But if I may point out, when we actually challenge ourselves with that question, sometimes we realize, yeah, some days I don't. Do I have a teachable heart? And add to it this prayer. This is your Holy Week prayer. Lord, reveal to me what I need to confess to you today. Teach me to be obedient to you in all ways. We're going to enter into a time of prayer, congregational prayer right now, and then we'll sing our final song. So join me as we pray together. God, you are holy. God, you are grace-filled. You are full of unfailing love that you lavish on us. You are also, God, full of wrath towards sin. You are filled with compassion for the sinner as well, and you are ready to forgive and eradicate from us the guilt of the sin that keeps us from your presence. Today, Lord, may we confess that which keeps us from your presence, that we may experience abundant life. We pray, God, not simply for what's going on in this room, but we pray for a world steeped in sin and its consequences, broken by our own brokenness and our own hurt inflicted towards one another. God, we pray for those in Ukraine and Russia as they continue to suffer, particularly in Ukraine. Thank you for where the church has stepped in and helped. We pray, Lord, that more aid gets there and that hostilities cease. We pray, Lord, and continue to pray for those in Afghanistan who suffer. We know that believers there suffer tremendously. It's one of the worst places in the world to be a believer, God, and yet they have hope in you. May we have such hope. We pray for those who have made the journey to our side of the world from Afghanistan that we would welcome them readily that we would be able to show them the hospitality of your kingdom here. Lord, we pray for those who continue to try and make journeys from Central and South America, finding a better life. We pray for better resolutions in that process. Lord, we pray for friends and family that we have, those who hurt, those who need healing today. We take silence to lift up those people in our own lives that we know who are hurt and need healing.
Lord, we pray for those that we know in our own lives who have been wounded by others created in your image, image bearers, damaging image bearers with our words, where we have caused those problems, Lord, we confess today, and where we see people hurt by words and other actions, Lord, we pray for them and lift them to you today. We know many people in our own lives who need your care and your abundant love in so many ways. Lord, we pray as well for those who've been wounded by those of us who claim Christ. We pray that indeed the church can be a place of healing, never a place of hurt. And where we've done wrong, Lord, forgive us. Help us do right in your name. God, may we be like your servant, Jesus Christ, who is sacrificial to the end, who took up his cross for us. May we indeed be sacrificial as our Heavenly Father, or as Jesus is sacrificial. May we indeed be people who are giving to the very end of the love of God in great hospitality to bring others into the kingdom. Lord, may we confess what keeps us back from your kingdom right now, that we would not fall short, that we would not remain unsaved. Keep us in your care today, Lord. Bring us into your family and into your kingdom. Amen.